Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Hey, I woke up this morning, and um, my ritual practice on Sunday morning is to get up and uh, to sit with God for a while before I start working on my message notes. And so this morning I got up, and I was sitting with God, and I was working through the various places in Scripture I was trying to read, and I was having a hard time focusing, as I'm sure all of us can relate to anytime you've ever tried to pray or read the Scriptures. One of the questions people always ask is like, how do you keep your mind from wandering? I, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that this morning my mind was wandering, and my mind kept wandering to this morning, to our service, and to uh, what God was going to do here, some things with my message, or I want people to feel welcome when they come. And so I just, just, no matter how hard I tried, I just kept getting distracted, and my mind kept wandering back to the service. And so about the sixth, seventh time that that happened, I sensed this kind of internal question from God, very, very simple, asking me, what do you want? Thinking about this time, that question that I just posed to you before I prayed about this service, asking me, like, what, what do you want when you gather together with these people every single week? And the truth is, like, I kind of want a lot of things. Like, I, I want to uh, preach and teach in a way that is clear and that people hopefully find interesting and don't bore people to death. That's not my goal. Boring people with the Bible is a sin, in my opinion. So I hope to not do that. Um, I want our affection for Jesus to be stirred as we sing. I really think that's one of the main things that happens when we sing is our love for Jesus is stirred. I want people who are here, those of you who are here for the first time, it matters to me that you would feel welcome and loved. We, We want you to be here. And so I have all of that going on. All of those are various things I was thinking about this morning. Those are things that I want to have happen. But then the truth is, as I kind of sat with that question, there was one clear answer that rises so far above all of those other things. And all those other things that I just mentioned, they are good and important and necessary factors that we want to have happen here. But there was one answer to this simple question from the Spirit, what do you want that rose above everything else? And what I really, really want more than anything else is I want to experience the presence of God together. That's what I hope happens when we come together. And that's what I believe God wants to do when we come and we meet together with him. And so before we get into our text this morning, which we are going to be in Exodus chapter 33, and I'll set that up for you in just a second. But here's kind of the big idea, the premise from which we're going to work for a couple of minutes together this morning. It's this, if you want to write this down. We gather weekly to pursue a transforming experience in God's presence together. Which is pretty awesome if you think about it. I find that so much more compelling than just doing this thing on Sunday morning that's exclusively about sermons and songs. It's so much bigger than that. We gather weekly to pursue a transforming experience in God's presence together. And so I want to call this message this morning, Pursuit 
of the presence. And I want to look at this story in the Old Testament with a man named Moses that many of you are familiar with in Exodus chapter 33, specifically verses 12 to 23. So if you have a Bible or an app that you like to read on, go ahead and open that to Exodus chapter 33, and then we're going to pick up in verse 12. But before we jump into this story, uh, I want to give you a little bit of context so we understand kind of what has led up to this moment in Moses' life. So if you're not familiar with the Genesis story, um, God made a covenant with uh, these uh, kind of founders of the Hebrew faith, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made a covenant with them that they would be his people, that he would be their God, and that he was going to build a nation from them. Now, the, the insane thing about that promise is that God first made that promise to this man named Abraham, who at the time of making the, pro- the promise, Abraham and his wife were in their 80s, and she had been barren their entire marriage. So the idea of God coming to Abraham, this old man, and saying, I'm going to build a nation from your family. He's looking around going, have you not been paying attention, Lord? I'm, we're, we're old, like so old. The, the, te- the scriptures mention that so many times, especially about poor Sarah. She's old, she's old, she's old. It's like, I bet there was more to her than her oldness. But that, that is something to get highlight, that gets highlighted over and over and over again. But God did what only God can do. And he did bring a family out of Abraham and then out of Isaac, their son, and out of Jacob, And so then some of you will know the story of Joseph, who Jacob was Joseph's father. Joseph, through this crazy experience uh, over the course of a few years in his life, ends up in Egypt and ascends to the place of being second in command over all of Egypt. And so his family has shown immense favor. They are uh, incorporated into this massive nation. And Joseph has great favor and does amazing things. But over the course of a generation, all of that favor was forgotten. And Joseph's family continued to expand and they continued to grow in numbers. And the Pharaoh at the time got very nervous about that. And so he chose to take all of these people that were a part of this growing, what would become a nation and to force them into slavery. And so for 400 years, God's people lived in slavery in Egypt, 400 years. Do you think the last 18, 19 months have felt long? Imagine 400 years, like you're born into this and you're going to die in it. So just think about the hopelessness and despair that must have marked their lives for so much of the time. And so it's into this that God calls this man Moses through a series of miracles with God's help to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery and into freedom. And so all of that is what happens in the Exodus story. And so God has done, just just to bring you up to speed on where Moses is at, Moses has been used of God to free a nation. And now he is effectively the leader of God's people that has become this massive nation. And God has used Moses to perform miracle after miracle after miracle. He has seen God move in ways that many of us can barely even comprehend. And so I want you to think about You're Moses, okay? Imagine being in Moses' position, and now we're going to look at this interaction between Moses and God on Mount Sinai, and he's going to ask God for something very, very specific. So if you were Moses, knowing all that backstory I just told you, what do you think you would ask God for? God's sitting with you. He wants to know, I want to hear from you. I want to help you. What can I do? 
what would you ask God for? Well, that's what we get to see in the example of Moses this morning. So look with me at Exodus chapter 33. We're going to pick up in verse 12. And notice this. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now, if indeed I have found favor with you, please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I might find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. A couple of things I find really interesting about that. One, Moses did not ask for, so he's effectively like a military leader as well. And so he doesn't ask for like victory as they continue to follow God into this new land that he's promised them. He doesn't ask for favor with the people. He doesn't even ask God, which I think would have been a great request. He doesn't even ask God for wisdom to lead this growing nation of people that he always felt very ill-equipped. He doesn't ask God for any of that. What What he asks God for is more of God. That was his request. Moses had this thing about him, if you're familiar with his story, where he kind of he always felt inadequate for everything that God called him to, and so he was always asking God to send someone else or to send help to help him, and so that's how he ended up with Aaron, his brother, helping him in Egypt. And so yet again, Moses is in this position where he's like, all right, you've told me to lead these people up, but, but who's going with me, Lord? We, we both know that I'm not doing this by myself, so who's going to go? And he asks that God would teach him his ways so that he would know God more deeply, which I think is just not to sidebar for too long because I got to keep it tight today. But that's an important little corrective for the way that we think about the reason for being taught the things of God. Oftentimes, what turns us into legalistic Pharisees is when we absorb information for the sake of information as opposed to absorbing the things of God in the scriptures for relationship with him so that we would know his heart and his mind more. And so Moses, his prayer is very, very simple. Lord, teach me your ways so that I can know you. Moses wanted God. And the good news is that's a prayer request that God always says yes to. Listen to verse 14. God replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if if your presence does not go, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please let me see your glory. So in response to this request about whom, Lord, are you going to send with me, God, God says me, which is great. Like if you're picking teams for anything, getting God on your team is a huge win. I don't care if it's dodgeball or leading the people of Israel into the promised land, like you want God with you on your side. Being against him never goes well. And so in response to whom are you going to send, God says me. I'm going to go with you. My presence will go with you. And Moses, overwhelmed by that, 
makes this very specific request for more of God again and says, let me see your glory. Now, glory is a word that is used throughout uh, the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. It's a reference to the manifest presence of God. So we have this scriptural truth that is the fact that God is always present everywhere. We talk about that almost every time we gather. There's nowhere we go that God is not. There is no moment in our lives in which God is not present with us. We call that his omnipresence. He is everywhere with us. And there are times where he manifests and reveals his presence in a very pointed way. And so we did that in the Old Testament by Uh, leading them as a pillar of fire in the night and a pillar of smoke during the day. That was a a moment in time in which, in a place in time in which God revealed his presence in a visible, tangible way. And so that's what Moses is asking for. Lord, show me your glory. Verse 19, he said, this is God's response, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, And I will proclaim the name, the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. It's a pretty sobering testament from God about his transcendence and his power. That he says, hey, you can't see my face or you won't lie. I don't know what would happen if a human saw his face. In my mind, it's very similar to the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. When they take the cover off of, that, uh, off of the Ark of the Covenant and their faces melt off, that's what I envision would happen if one saw the face of God. But we don't know for sure. But what God makes real clear is see my face equals death. And so he constructs this very gracious way for Moses still to get a glimpse of his presence right there with him. He hides him in a rock with his own hand as his presence passes by. And as we're going to see in just a moment, just that glimpse was enough to change Moses from the inside out. And I think it's very interesting that the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, and he is the exact imprint or manifestation of his nature. So there's a sense in which Jesus is the ultimate picture of who God is and what God's like, because he is God the Son. But in the very same way, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, for now we see only a reflection, which is why there are so many things about God that we don't understand. And that's the way that it's going to be and going to remain until the day, as we've sung about this morning, when Christ returns and we genuinely get to see him face to face, but that day will come. But I do think that as we look at this example from Moses, I think we learn two very important truths about God's presence that should make his presence our hope when we gather together like this. So make a note of these two two observations to make about the presence of God. Here's number one. God's presence makes us distinct. God's presence, we as his people, his presence in our midst is what makes us distinct. That's exactly what Moses said. He said, I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. And so I wonder if I I were to pose to you the question, well, what is, I kind of just gave this answer away, but... Pretend I didn't just say that. 
What, what do you think makes a follower of Jesus, a son or a daughter of God, what makes them distinct? And I guess the honest answer is a lot of things probably. But oftentimes, when we think about what makes us distinct as followers of Jesus, we immediately think about doctrinal things that we believe. We might think about moral ways in which we try to live more and more, especially in our Western context. We think of, a lot of people think of, a, of particular political affiliations, and we think all of these things are the primary things that make us distinct as the people of God. But I would argue that while those might be a factor, it's not the main thing. The main factor that should make us distinct as the people of God is his presence in our very midst. Because if it's not that, then the truth is we're just one religion in a sea of religions. Every religion has doctrine and morality and political implications that come with all of that. that none, none of that ultimately makes us, it might make us different from them, but what is it that marks us as the people of God? And I would argue it is the presence of the very real, true, transcendent God of the universe. And there's no arguing with his presence. There's no denying his presence. And so the number one thing that makes us distinct is God's presence in our midst, which is why I would argue it's so important that that be our hope when we gather together like this. We want to encounter his presence because it makes us distinct. I literally pray every Sunday that as people walk through those doors and they come in here and they find seats, some of you are here and you don't have a relationship with God and that's great. We're, I mean, it's not great you don't have a relationship with God, but I'm glad you're here in the midst of it because we want to be a place that people can explore relationship with Jesus and explore faith and ask real questions. But I do pray that even as you come in here and you may not be sure what all you believe, I pray that there would be a presence here that we believe is the spirit of God that would be undeniable for you. That you might leave still going, I'm not, I'm not sure that I believe everything they believe. I'm not sure I believe everything the Bible says, but something is, something very real is happening in that place. We believe that God's presence makes us distinct, but that's not all. Secondly, God's presence leaves us different. God's presence leaves us different. So if you were to fast forward to Exodus 34, we're not going to read the entirety of that, but Moses stays up on the mountain uh, with God as he interacts with him. And when he's coming down the mountain, Genesis 34, 29 says this. It says, the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. So Moses comes down off Mount Sinai. The text goes on to say they had to like throw a sheet over his head because everybody was too freaked out to be around him and talk to him because literally his face was shining because he had stood in the presence of God and spoken with him. Now our skin may not actually shine when we leave church, Though that'd be cool. But I think you can tell when a person's been with God. There's a handful of people that I've either met or that are in my life, and every time I get around them, there's just something qualitatively different because I know they've been with God. Some of you are some of those people. And the reason for that 
is that God's presence leaves us different. And so my prayer every single week is we would leave this room just a little bit different than we came in. And I believe that it's God's presence in our midst, not just new information that you're hearing from me, but God himself is working in and on and wants to work through you. God's presence makes us distinct and God's presence leaves us different. And so the question is, how do we position our service to experience his presence together. Because, I mean, it's not very hard to, like, throw together a couple songs and have someone stand up and open the Bible and talk a little bit. But, but how do we actually structure this time with our specific hope in mind that we want to experience the transforming presence of God together? And so what I want to do is I want to share with you um, some the intent and the thought that's going to go into structuring our worship services as we move forward together. There's eight movements that are going to make up our 90 minutes that we spend together. Um, and so just before I, I lay these out, I want, to, I want to explain that. I want you to know that we're never trying to like, uh, what's the best way to say this? We're never trying to call down the presence of God. And, and we're, never, we're never trying to convince God, would you please come and meet with us. You know, we're never trying to do that because he's already here. So we're not, and so I was thinking this morning about that notion. I've even heard people pray over the years, like trying to pray God into the room as if he wasn't here before we got here. Or as if they're trying to convince like he's a spell that if we could just get the right spell cast, then God will show up. I'm not talking about any of that. That makes me think about this other story in the Old Testament where Elijah is having a standoff with the prophets of Baal. Some of you may be familiar with that story. And it was a demonstration of like, whose God is the true God? And so the prophets of Baal built this giant altar. And they're dancing around this altar for hours on end, screaming and pleading with Baal to reveal himself. For hour after hour, they start to cut themselves to show their sincerity, trying to convince Baal to come and to reveal his power and his presence. And spoiler alert, it never happens. And then it's Elijah's turn. And Elijah just humbly and quietly bows his head and asks that the one true God of the universe would reveal himself. And the scriptures say that fire fell from heaven and consumed the entire altar that he had built in place. So we don't do anything to like call, we don't have to call God down. He's already here. The question is, how do we position ourselves so that we can actually see him as he actually is in this place, so that we can hear what he wants to say? So how do we position our hearts to see the God who is already here? And so let me just share briefly these eight movements with you. I'm gonna go through these quickly. And this is what you're going to begin to see. Like, this is how we structure our time together with the hope and the intent of experiencing God's presence together, all right? So the first, the first movement is welcoming, welcoming. That we would have a heart, an attitude, and a posture that would, say, that would be welcoming to the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we are not here to resist you. We acknowledge you are here in this place, and we want to hear from you. And so our posture is one of welcoming. And so we do that through a call to worship. We're also going to begin to see, you'll, you'll see it next week. You know, historically, um, the reason that, that a candle or candles have been lit in worship services for 
2,000 years is that candles were meant to be a visible representation, a visible reminder of God's presence in our midst. There's nothing magic about, the, about candles, but we are a visual people. And there is a helpful reminder in something as simple as a candle that reminds us, man, God is here. And there's so much inside of us and outside of us that tells us that God's not with us, that even a simple reminder like a candle can be a reminder, no, he is here. Even if I don't feel him right now, even if I'm not hearing him, even if I'm not experiencing him, I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word and believe he is here. And so we start by welcoming. Secondly, we go into this second movement of entrusting. Entrusting. Do you know that the greatest single obstruction to you experiencing the presence of God when we gather is everything that you carry into this room? So every week that we come in, it's, if, if, if I wish that we could see it visibly, but we all have like various forms of baggage that we bring into this place. It might be something we're anxious about or fearful over. It could be something that's causing us a lot of stress. It could be a relational issue, a financial issue. It could be something spiritual in nature. But we have these things that are all vying for our attention all of the time, and we walk in here carrying all of that. And oftentimes, we're so consumed with whatever that thing is that we are missing that we are in the presence of God together. And so we want to take 90 seconds to just do an, an, an inventory Asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, what, what did I bring into this place? What is obstructing my ability to be present with you and present with these people? And then to give whatever that is over to God so that he could take it and we could hear him say what he wants to say in this place. So We start with welcoming. We move to entrusting. And then thirdly is a time of contemplating. Now, contemplating or contemplation or the contemplative practices is, is only about focusing our attention on who God is. As I just said, there are so many things vying for our attention that it takes intent and effort on our part to actually focus our attention on God for more than like 13 seconds. And so we can contemplate who God is as we sing about who he is in song. We do that through prayer. We can do that through the reading of scripture. But we want to have an intentional movement within our service where we are contemplating the person and work of Jesus Christ together. Fourthly, we have a time of what we call testifying. And we do that through the sharing of our altars, as you got to hear from Shanna this morning. We believe that God is moving in our lives every single day, but oftentimes we just don't see it. And so our hope and our prayer is that every single week, one person will stand up and just share a simple way in which they have experienced God's work in their lives over the course of that week. And so these don't have to be like big mountaintop miraculous moments. It can just be the way that we're experiencing God in the nitty gritty of everyday life. In other news, we don't have anyone scheduled for next week. So... If you'd like to give an altar next week, then come find me after the service, text me or email me. And because uh, we do every single week, we want to hear these stories of how God's moving in our midst. Moving from testifying, we move to a time of ascribing. Ascribing. One of the things that I've noticed, in, especially in worship music, as I, that's been a major part of my life for the last 20 years, there is an immense amount of worship music that does a lot of singing about who God is, and there is less that does a really great job of singing to him. And that's not the same thing, right? Like if, if, uh, 
If Pastor Tyler's out in the hallway and I'm sitting with all of you and I'm talking about him and he comes into the room and I don't begin to talk with him, but I just keep talking about him, that's awkward on every level, right? But what's interesting is that so much of our worship music is just that. God's here, he's in our midst and we're singing about him and I think the whole time he's like, hey, like we, we can talk too. You can sing to me, you can talk to me. And so we have a time of of ascription where we choose songs, where the language shifts, and it's not just about who God is, but we turn our attention to actually singing to him, actually talking to him. So we move from ascribing, then to listening. And that's what what we're doing right now. We do that through teaching. That's even happening through Q&A. Someone opens the scriptures and teaches the scriptures to us, and we are listening for what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us in this time uh, that we gather together. And then we move from listening to a time of responding, which I, I want to start to take a minute to two minutes at the end of a time of teaching for us to be able to, to, to respond appropriately to what it is that God's saying to us. And I think that, that requires us learning to discern a little bit of what it is that God's saying to us, but, but, but really leaving this place with, an, with a specific intent around here is something I've heard God say to me and I'm going to live this out over the course of my life or I'm going to continue to talk with God about this specific area that he has put on my heart. So we'll move from listening to responding and then finally, our last movement is just one of closing. Pastor Tyler is going to share the announcements which is our... Uh, our attempt at trying to help especially new people get connected. If you're here and you call Ridgeline home and you've wondered like, why are the announcements the same like every week? Anyone ever wondered that? Well, I watch you not paying attention. So what are you thinking about during the announcements then if it's not, why are, why are we doing this again? The reason that, we, that they're the same every single week is that by and large, the announcements are not for those of us who call Ridgeline home because we kind of already understand this place and this people. It's about helping people who are new take their next step in getting connected. And then we always have a time of prayer at the end of our announcement, just asking that God would solidify what it is that he has said to us in our hearts. And so our hope every single week when we come together is not just that we would learn something new, not just that we would get to sing all of our favorite songs, not even just that we would get to see people that we love, and maybe haven't had a chance to interact with over the course of the week. But more than anything else, our desire is that we would experience transforming relationship with Jesus as we encounter his presence together when we gather. And so let's pray and let's expect to experience the goodness of his presence every time we gather. And then we're going to sing to that end, all right? Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for each of these people. And I thank you that you are a God who desires relationship with us. That you have not just created us to be your servants. You've created us to be your sons and your daughters. And we thank you for that immense gift of relationship. And Lord, we want to be aware of your presence more than what we are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to be sensitive to that. Teach us to position our lives for relationship with you. 
And I pray that you would help, help us to prayerfully plan our time together in this space to become more aware of your presence with us, more aware of who you are, more aware of what you're like, more aware of what you're saying to us, more aware of what you're doing in and around us and what you want to do through us. Lord, we will not settle for mere sermons and songs. Like Moses, we boldly pray and ask that you would help us to see your glory, to see your presence in our midst. We thank you for being a good God who is faithful and loves us well. Help us to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.